RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 320, Fascination. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, examining it for messages and things like that, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, oh look, Loxana's back, and Keiko, and uh, Ryle... DS9 is gearing up for the Gratitude Festival in the episode Fascination. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641... Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to peek into the bag and see if the cat wants to say uh, anything. The cat says uh, that they are looking forward to the Gratitude Festival as soon as this episode is over. Nice. All right. Well, I'll move it along with trivia then. Trivia for Fascination. This episode was written by Ira Stephen Bear and James Crocker. And of course, we know Ira's work. And James Crocker, you may recall, had been around as a supervising producer on DS9 since season two. Just a handful of scripts get his credit, though. Cardassians, Melora, Paradise, The McKee Part One, and this one. Fascination is his final After DS9, he went on to work as a writer-producer on Lewis and Clark and the revivals of The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits. The teleplay for today's show is by Philip Lezebnik. You may not remember the name right away, but he did write Devil's Due for TNG as well as Darmok. This is his third and final contribution to the Star Trek franchise. Since then, he has had a big hand in animated features as a writer for Disney, DreamWorks, and others. Today's episode is directed by Avery Brooks. No introduction necessary there, other than to say that this is Brooks' third outing as director. He did Tribunal near the end of season two and then directed The Abandoned just a few episodes ago. He really took to the Star Trek directing school, obviously, and stacked up these credits in short succession. He's got six more to go before the wrap of the series. So... All of the above set out to create an episode that was a light departure from the dread we've been feeling since the introduction of the Dominion. From the script to the production design, lighting, wardrobe, everything was literally lightened up and made more colorful for fascination. They also specifically wanted to do a riff on A Midsummer Night's Dream, and the writers all screened the 1935 film. I have to admit, Ken, I'm a big fan of classic movies 
I've not seen that version of a Midsummer Night's Dream. That's the one with Mickey Rooney, isn't it? He plays Puck. It is. Yep. Yeah. I've yep. seen parts of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I was actually a big fan of... Uh, you remember when Arts and Entertainment used to do Arts and Entertainment? That's what A&E stood oh, for. for I, I remember, yeah, know. years and years and years ago. A lifetime ago, actually. Yeah, yeah. they used to show uh, Shakespeare in the Park, like from Central Park. Mm-hmm. And there was there was a version of A Midsummer Night's Dream that they did uh, that I want to say had like uh, uh, William Hurt. And I can't think of who else off the top of my head, but their version, like if it was on and I was flipping around, I would watch that. Not oh, not usually cool. all the way through because I was like, you know, 13 or yeah. 14. So, I mean, it was, you know, not necessarily how you'd want to spend a Friday night, but that was an amazing, uh, amazing representation of it. Um, have not cool. seen the 1935 edition, though. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe we should watch it, but yeah. <laughs> so, uh, now we that- won't. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the the fun part about doing trivia and cutting around to the guest star section here is, is that inevitably you'll leave out somebody's favorite guest star or you will leave out somebody's favorite credit for that guest star. <coughs> Kolchak. <coughs> um, but in this case, well, we have zero guest stars. They're all returning characters, recurring characters. So we'll just name them Majel Barrett as Loxana Troy, Philip Anglum as Vedic Barail, Rosalind Chow as Keiko. And Hannah Hetai as Molly. So those are our guest stars. We have all seen them before. And on with the story. Guess who is back? Back again. Keiko is back. Tell a friend. Guess who is back? 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 Prologue. Jake has a case of the blues. Marta has gone off to the Science Academy on Regulus 3, and that leaves Ben Sisko with the job of cheering up his son. Hey, there's the upcoming Bajoran Gratitude Festival. Doesn't that sound like fun? Okay. Prepping for the festival is Major Kira. There are streamers and brightly colored things and mylar things. It's a festival full of gratitude. Kira is grateful that Vedic Barail is coming in for a visit, which makes Odo quite a bit less grateful. Also full of anticipation this morning is Chief O'Brien. Until now, he's been guzzling coffee and apparently wearing himself out with racquetball matches with his pal Bashir. All that while counting the minutes since Keiko and Molly went to Bajor, and now, two months later, they're due in on the next shuttle. Let's see, there's Vedic Barail stepping off to greet Kira with a kiss, then there's Keiko and Molly... And it looks like neither of them is particularly happy. It's been a long, exhausting trip. Molly is sick, and look who also happens to be on the shuttle with them. Loaxana Troy. Act 1. First stop for Loaxana is Odo's office, where she's ready to rekindle some kind of something with him. Odo is his typical stoic self and not really interested in talking about much of anything personal with Loaxana, but he'll see her at the festival later. She leaves, seems to have a bit of a headache or something going on, just indicating that maybe you should remember that. Having a better time are Kira and Barail. They've wasted no time getting back to her quarters, and, well, among the kissing, there's talk of Kai Wen, there's talk of the festival. Bad timing. Kira needs to run down to the promenade to finish preparations there. She's dropping off renewal scrolls, and Jadzia will help her out. 
Arial doesn't get it. Kira's friendship with Jadzia, that is. When we check in with the O'Briens, well, they're just not on the same page. Miles hasn't seen her in a while, and he's maybe feeling a bit amorous. Keiko is worn out from the journey. They can't agree on anything, whether to go to the festival, what to wear. Miles even suggests Keiko put on that red dress. You know, that red dress. She's not feeling it. They're not having a good time. And Keiko is only here for two days before going back to Bejor for four months. That night, Kira opens up the festival with a ceremonial verse, some iridescent special effects, and a flame pot there to burn up the ceremonial scrolls. May our troubles turn to ashes with them. And then it's time to party! Loaxana looks like she always does, about a step away from covering Odo and smooches. Odo can barely contain his discomfort. Miles and Keiko are barely holding in their own indifference with each other. Beryl sort of catches Jadzia's eye, though, but it seems like he's got a touch of a headache when he escorts Kira off the stage. Jake has kind of a headache, too, and when his dad checks in with him, he says he's fine. Then he stares lovingly at someone across the promenade. Act 2. It's getting weird. Jake Sisko approaches Major Kira with a bombshell. He's in love with her. Um, well, we guess he's taking this whole older woman thing to a new level. Then there's Vedic Barail, who ditches Kira so he can come on to Jadzia. And speaking of Jadzia, she seems to be developing a bit of a headache herself. We check in at Quark's for a minute, where it looks like Miles and Keiko are doing a little better. Seated at their table, they talk over missing each other, and then... Well, then a few seconds later, Keiko drops her own bombshell. She needs to stay on Bajor for longer than she originally thought. Miles doesn't take the news well, especially when Keiko says her colleague, some dude named Sibar, said she should wait to break the news to Miles. This brings out just a bit of jealousy from Miles, and he won't be happy until Keiko stays there with him on DS9. The conversation turns worse when he tells her to get up from the table and go back to Bajor for all he cares. Act 3. Jake tries to explain his newfound affection for Kira to his dad. Ben is trying to be reasonable, but Jake won't have it. Loaxana is still coming on to Odo, Miles is still brooding about Keiko, and he's getting an earful from Quark about Ferengi marriage practices. Women can't leave home, they can't have jobs, no clothes. It's so great, in fact, Quark is still single. <clears throat> Miles is only inspired to go find Keiko and try to make things right. Elsewhere, Kira finds Beryl again. She's full of affection, but the Vedic is distracted he says outright that he wants to find Jadzia, though he won't say why exactly. In fact, Jadzia is in Sisko's quarters, helping set the table for the big Gratitude Day dinner. She's trying to stay away from Vedic Beryl. He's coming on to her. That makes things uncomfortable, especially thinking of her friend Kira. Sisko says he'll talk to Beryl, which just puts Jadzia over the moon because, of course, she's in love with Sisko. Act 4. Just a big joke, right? Except she's not joking. Sisko takes Jadzia to the infirmary, where Dr. Bashir says there's nothing wrong with her at all. She's free to go. And on the promenade, she expresses her love again for Sisko. 
At home with the O'Briens, Miles, through a closed door, pours his heart out to Keiko. He acted like an idiot, but he really loves her. So much, in fact, that he's resigning from Deep Space Nine in order to move to Bajor with her, then maybe back to Earth. She says she needs time. There's Waxana again, this time with Odo and Dr. Bashir on their way to Sisko's dinner party. They bump into Kira, who is in no mood to see Beryl, so she's skipping dinner. And she's avoiding Jake, who's been professing his love every chance he gets. Maybe there's something to this. Bashir mentions what happened with Jadzia. Maybe he missed something in his tests. He'll need to return to the infirmary to make sure. And Kira goes with him. On the way, they both seem to be coming down with a headache, and then, before you know it, they are making out so hard. Act 5. Time for the big feast at the Cisco's. Loaxana is chasing Odo, Beryl is chasing Jadzia, Jadzia is chasing Benjamin, and many fantasies were learned on that day. At this point, Cisco orders Odo to find the doctor and get to the bottom of what's happening. He wants to see him now. Bashir and Kira are um, all over each other when Odo finds him in the infirmary. Still, they're dragged to Sisko's quarters where it's just chaos. Nobody is in control of themselves. Even Bashir and Kira are aware of the fact that they can't keep their hands off each other as much as they try. Jake is despondent about Kira. Miles is despondent about Keiko. Then look who shows up. It's Keiko. And she's wearing that red dress. She's all smiles, and now so is Miles. She tells him not to resign his position. They kiss. All's well that, hey, wait, what about the others? Here comes Quark with a bunch of pudding. Next thing we see, Beryl is so worked up about Jadzia, he punches Benjamin in the face. Cisco takes it pretty well, actually, not fighting back. But he doesn't need to because it's Jadzia who knocks Beryl to the floor with a single punch. When Quark passes by Loaxana, he's suddenly less interested in his pudding than he is Keiko, who is trying to help Beryl. Quark expresses his love to Keiko until Miles physically removes him, and then, for some reason, Sisko has it all figured out, and all eyes are on Loaxana. Cut to the infirmary. Loaxana has Xanthi fever. It's a viral thing. It projects her emotions onto others, and, well, she was feeling amorous, at least toward Odo. Bashir says it only happened when people were in close proximity to her, and only when Loxana had an attack. It might have woken up some latent feelings they were all having. An antivirus will take care of it. The cure works, everyone is okay, and back to their old, less frisky selves. Loxana says her goodbye to Odo. She tells him that she knows what it's like to be interested in someone who doesn't reciprocate. And if he ever changes his mind, well, he knows where to find her. Then she leaves him with a kiss. Miles was okay all along, cleared by Dr. Bashir. His attraction to Keiko was, and is, just his attraction to his wife. And then, off she and Molly go back to Bajor, and in walks Dr. Bashir with his racquetball gear, ready to challenge his friend, the end. Gratitude Day. From the people who brought you Life Day. Well, if only because we're we're missing uh we're missing Jefferson Starship. We're That's yeah, true. yeah, we're missing Art Carney. 
Um, B. Arthur? You're missing B. Arthur? We're missing B. Arthur. We're definitely missing Tim Conway. Man, if they had that cast in this episode... (laughs) Here's the thing, though. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that Life Day was pretty much just like, a, well, we need a holiday, but we're not really going to think about it too much? Yes. Bingo. That's kind of gratitude day, right? Just like, oh, well, we need a holiday. What's it going to be? I don't know. Gratitude, gratitude. day? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a great idea. Honestly, the place you want to go for gratitude day is Deep Space Nine. It really is. I mean, there's a whole planet down there celebrating Gratitude Day. Yeah, the whole planet from which that comes. Yes, and yet, uh, let's go to the place where, you know, the security chief says, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Nobody wants to be here. Yeah. <laughs> gratitude yeah. Day. It's surprising that, you know, she didn't say, hey, we're doing Gratitude Day, and you'd think that the whole cast would have gone, Pff. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. Just because that seems to sort of be a... Yeah, we, we know about five Bajorans who have come through DS9, and yeah... Tim Conway, though, you're right. That would have that would have made it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was still around. He could have done it. He was. Yeah. Well. Oh wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Uh, Harvey Corman. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, Harvey you Corman. Did, say, uh, did I say wait, Tim Conway? Okay. You said Tim Conway. You also said Art Carney. So Art Carney was in it. Art Carney was in it. Harvey okay. Corman had Harvey multiple Corman roles. And yes. uh, man, didn't, oh, man. He, didn't he? Didn't he? Um, didn't he go and drag for something? He in that did. Episode? He did. He had the multiple arms, and he's doing the thing. Man, look, we should just have Bruce Valanche on the show. All right, <laughs> <laughs> Carrie Fisher singing. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yes, not that. Not that there wasn't you know mu- music in this episode too. So that's yeah. Anyway, yeah. Look. We can't talk about Life Day. We can't talk about <laughs> the Star Wars we're here special. For we have to talk day. about this. Yeah. Yes, we're here for Gratitude Day and grateful, grateful we will be, um, you know, at some point. Ken, do you remember a few episodes back when I said something about not seeing Marta again? I do. And I was disappointed. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been, you know, they, they really sort of painted themselves into a corner a bit, I think, with creating this sort of unconventional relationship. Here you have this 20-something-year-old woman working, you know, grown woman who's been through a lot working in uh, Quark's Bar. And then you got Jake, the 16-year-old kid. And we were like, whoa, uh, uh, is this right? And then they're just like, you know what? Let's ship her off. Let's just get rid of her from the show. Yeah. So too bad that we don't get to uh, to revisit that. Uh, but hey, can we talk about uh, can we talk about Miles's mental and physical state here? Because uh, uh, Bashir calls him out for having his fifth cup of coffee in 20 minutes. And th- whoa. Yeah. OK. <laughs> right. Right. Just right, right away. Red flag. I, yes, I absolutely agree. I mean, here's the thing. I can drink coffee. Yeah. But that's one cup every four minutes, yeah. which is uh, a bit much even for me. And the doctor notices this, which actually prompts a question that I'm not sure we've addressed before. Uh Uh-huh. You know, replicators make synthahol. Yeah. Is all the coffee in the 24th century decaf? Because if it is... I am no longer angling for a Star Trek future. <laughs> well, well, maybe. OK, so maybe you get your choice mm-hmm. and maybe the decaf is just as good as the regular coffee because it is a 24th century. See, that's the kind of thing they've been telling us since the 20th century, though, and it's just not true. Oh, uh, well, yeah. OK. OK, <laughs> that's, that's very true. And or, or maybe maybe Miles just always has liked the decaf. Maybe Miles has no taste. That's possible. That's possible. Uh, I would also just like to point out that Miles has not seen Keiko and Molly in two months. And now I understand that we miss the people that we love. It's not like it's two years, dude. You know, a couple of months, not too bad. 
Yeah. I, you know, I suspect we'll be talking a bit more about their relationship. I suspect we will, too. And also 70 games of racquetball. Because seriously, O'Brien, between racquetball and coffee, he should be dead. I was going to say, he's just going to throw his heart up one yeah. afternoon. He's going <laughs> to right. walk in to, to, to Bashir's office and Bashir's going to be like, what's wrong? And, and Miles is going to be like, I think there's something wrong with my heart. And then he's going to pull it out of his pocket yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and exactly. put it on the table because there's no way that can actually still be working with what he's putting it through. Also, things that happen with uh, inappropriate frequency. Odo drops by Quark's three or four times a day at random intervals. <laughs> he just said, first of all, put in a security camera. Second of all, I think Odo is actually in love with Quark and not Kira at this point. You know, <laughs> that is possible. Yeah. And now when we go to Quark's, uh, I'm sorry, Odo's office at the beginning, I, I feel bad for that unnamed Starfleet officer who's working for Odo. Uh, at, the, at the top of the show is mm-hmm. right when Loaxana comes in for a visit. Now, we know as a production thing that you have to pay actors more if they have even a single line of dialogue. But man, this guy, they just let Odo and Loaxana talk at him for an uncomfortably long time with no response. He can't even give an mm-hmm or an <laughs> OK or see you later. Thanks. He can't give any of that. He just has to sit there with a neutral sort of blank expression on his face, listening and then get up and leave. I feel really bad for that guy. He did, I think, smile when Loxana started hitting on Odo really hard. Either that or when Odo was like, yeah, Quark's going to be up to no good. I can't yeah. remember. There was a smile on his face, but again, it is just weird that like, you know, no chuckle, no laugh, but that's all you get. It's the realities of production. as you mm-hmm. say, yeah. Uh, so I, I have some advice for Jake. Okay, good. He goes to Kira and says, I need some advice. You see, there's this older woman mm-hmm. and it's you. Okay, I'm going to stop him right there. <laughs> uh, first bit of advice. Her age may be a thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't lead with that. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's just my yeah. thought. Like, you mm-hmm. know. It's like, yeah, and and play that any way you want to. I have this problem. I'm in love with someone who's really ugly. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, and and is this, do I know this person? Oh, I think you know her very well. (laughs) Dude, that's no way to begin. Not that age and, I mean, whatever. It's just, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, of course, he's only 16, but he's been dating an older woman. You would think he would know enough to not even be like, you know. Yeah, an older you, woman. He'd just hey, be like, I, I, I've got one. I got, hey, Jake, write a write a poem for Major Kira. That'd be great. I hear his poetry just nails it. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> that good. would actually, that would be fantastic. See, I like that episode. Let's combine that episode with the Life Day episode and move on. You got it. You got it. <laughs> hey, uh, a question about uh, Bajoran religious and traditional practices. I wonder how the burning glow stick faction gets along with the cloud monster faction. I think the Cloud Monster faction probably just runs away. Okay. So, so <laughs> they, probably they see pretty the, good. The, they see the thing glowing, and then, oh, it's a fire. Run away. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's it. Yes. That's it. Yeah. I just wonder if they, you know, look down upon them by, oh, psh, scrolls. Bernie, Who, that, that, that's your thing? Whoa. Yeah. That's, oh, interesting. So yeah. they're going to go the other way because, you know, they, they have the power of the stick. Yeah, they do. Which they, they can do. wave at the cloud and get it to go away, maybe. Yeah. 
One thing that I, I like seeing on DS9, there's a lot of food. We'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, I, I didn't. I just. I never thought about it before that Jumja sticks are huge. They're yes. absolutely gigantic. And and Jake's got one. He hands one to Kira. Then there's the guy in the background walking around with four of them. They're gigantic. Uh, it's like the the turkey leg of DS9. And by that, I mean that they're huge. And like once every five years, you go, oh, I, I'd like to taste that again. Then you have a bite and you're like, yeah, I, I don't know why I did this. Yeah. I'd like to know more about the Jumja stick. Like, why doesn't anybody sell them at like conventions or things like that? Well, they should. They I'd like should. to know, like, is it, is it like, you remember those horrible like circus peanuts? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The big puffy orange ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like, mm. is it like that? Or is it like, is it like plant based? Or is it like a, mm. just like a big lollipop? I mean, I will say when Jake decides he doesn't want his, uh, he gives one to Kira and he decides to want his, he throws it. I'm pretty sure you heard a thud. Yeah. Right. I mean, so I think they're big. I think they're weighty. Yeah. Uh, I, I suspect they might be meaty. I don't really understand the jump stick. It's, it's, it's not quite as vexing to me as Dabo. Well, no, I mean, nothing would be as complicated as that. I, I picture it as like a, like a dense, almost like a caramelly. What, what was that thing that was like the big caramel thing on a stick? Uh, I never liked those. I think it was called the big caramel thing on a stick. I think you're right. Yeah. Was it Daddy, Sugar Daddy? Sugar Daddy. There you go. Sugar Daddy. I picture it kind of like that. <laughs> just a giant honkin. It's like 9,000 calories because it's all sugar. Yeah, it really was called Sugar Daddy, wasn't it? I think it was. I That's kind of amazing. And, and you say, wow, why aren't they selling those these days? It's because yeah. you don't want a 12-year-old walking into a candy store going, I'm looking for a Sugar Daddy. <laughs> You're exactly right. Hey, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the Bajoran music, because uh, when they started playing that, like I could suspend my disbelief that it wasn't just a visit to the Renfair planet again. But as soon as the music started up and Odo's kind of doing his little dance thing that's not a dance it's swaying i just thought oh we're back at the renfair planet here renfair space station in this case um i did love the bit with quark selling pens uh because they were giant first of all it kind of looked like a giant gold feather shaped thing and then he said it's inscribed by uh erma zim which was uh, a little takeoff it was trekanese for uh herman zimmerman production designer on, oh, nice. uh, on the show so that was kind of cool um and I, I like that there were performers. I like that there was a lot of life on DS9. And there, it was neat to see him. There's the guy, like, juggling Roman candles or whatever he's walking through with. But then there's the guy with the balls, and he's doing that thing where he's balancing them on uh, on the back of his hand and all that. But he, he's performing for the camera. Did that did, did that take you out of... Did that... Huh? Sorry, I'm still thinking about the guy with the balls. Yeah, yeah, he, he was. He, he, he was apologies. the, guy, the you... guy with the gold balls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep moving. Just keep going, <laughs> All right. Then, then I, I mentioned food. Let's talk about dinner at the Cisco. Oh, yes. All right. Yes, so so this huge spread, this giant table, uh, you got bread and you got broccoli and uh, peppers and carrots on a crudite platter. I think I saw some sliced melon and strawberries. There's some kind of a mousse or a terrine at the end of the table. We passed by very quickly. All I'm trying to get across is that this is a lot of cold food on this spread. It's very vegetable heavy, which I'm not opposed to, but I'm just saying that if this were the buffet, I'm going to skip a lot of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know? well, I mean, here's the thing. I think it's just so... Uh, you know, like if anybody complains, then Cisco can be like, you should be grateful. 
Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah that's really good. Day. That's, yeah, that's a gratitude festival or something. Twenty six hours of gratitude. That's it. Twenty six hours of gratitude. That's all you got. Yeah. And, and why in the why wasn't Benjamin affected by any of this or Miles for that matter? It's a good question. I think the real question though is why did we have to be? I mentioned repeatedly that Keiko is back. I failed to mention that Molly, Waxana, and Burial were also back. If you have a chance, tell a friend about them as well. We'll keep feeling fascination in just a moment, but first, a word from ExpressVPN, giving you back your internet privacy and letting you take it with you. As we record, we're in the thick of convention season, which means lots of travel. When you're traveling, there's lots of stuff to remember to pack. A swimsuit, your various devices, your cosplay, maybe. You will, of course, want to take privacy and security with you as well, and you can with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. These are serious things. I mean, it may sound like a bunch of like like tech. Uh, it may sound like teching the tech, John. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, Ken's just going to tech the tech, and then suddenly, yeah. No, see, because here's the thing: when when you go to like places like airports with free Wi-Fi and hotels with free Wi-Fi and coffee shops with free Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, people just you know set up there and start trying to siphon off data, and that's why you need to use something like ExpressVPN uh, to make sure that they can't do that. Now, if you're traveling internationally, ExpressVPN lets you stream and access content that might otherwise be blocked when you're traveling abroad. With ExpressVPN, you can unlock all of your favorite websites and have access to the internet just like you would if you were at home. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone. You download the app, you click to connect, and just like that, you're protected and using the internet the way you would normally. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than 7 bucks a month. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. It protects my connections when I travel, and it speeds that impress me every time. And that's honestly not something I can say about every VPN I've tried. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N, expressvpn.com slash mission log for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash mission log to learn more. And a big thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this week's show. Gotta tell you, man, I am a huge fan of the renewal scrolls. Why is that? I like a good talisman. Okay. I mean, I don't. I don't really ascribe any sort of like you know uh, uh, supernatural belief to physical things. Yeah, yeah. But you know, things that sort of let you put uh, focus your thought on one sure. thing, right? I mean, uh, taking an action. Um, I was not raised Catholic, so I don't cross myself. But I know there are people who do. Um, I can't remember what the thing is called, but like as you're entering um, uh, um, uh, an observant uh, Jewish home, there's a little mm-hmm. thing right by the door that you touch. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, as you go in. Things like that always always kind of interest me just because they give you like a physical thing uh, to to um, to be mindful 
in a way. Yeah. I actually, I did something like the Renewal Scrolls uh, one New Year's Eve. I was over to a friend's house with, uh, with a fireplace. Knew mm-hmm. there'd be a fire burning because I was living in the Northeast at the time. And so I brought some relatively nice paper, passed it out to everybody. And I was like, here's the thing I'm going to do. You don't have to. But right around midnight, I'm going to take a thing that I want to be rid of in the new year, uh, you know, write it on this piece of paper and then uh, fold it up and burn it in the fireplace. No. And mystically, the fire went out. <laughs> that didn't happen. Now, now here's the do, do you write down the things that, that you want to change, the things that were bad, or the, the things sort of ceremonially, the things that are good that you're looking forward to? Like, I, I, what, what's the thought process there on, on that? Well, for me personally, it was just stuff that I, I was kind of tired of. Okay. That I, that I wanted to not have be part of my life anymore. And, yeah. you know, it didn't, it, it didn't. I don't want to say it didn't work. Not like I expected it was going to. It's not like waving a magic wand or something like that. But I mean, I did that thing and I still remember doing it. Um, It didn't change much in my life, except that it was just sort of an assertion to myself that it was a thing I wanted to do. I mean, to, to, to burn a list of things that you actually want to bring into your life. I mean, that feels a little much like, well, now I'm trying to ward something in or I'm trying to like, you know, wish something into existence. Also, I don't understand why you would burn something that you want, but, you know, although unless you're doing a cute, like, um, did you see um, Harold and Maude? Oh, yeah, of course. Of yeah. Course, yeah. When he gives yeah, her yeah, that yeah, yeah. coin uh, that yeah. says, you know, Harold loves Maude, and she says, Maude loves Harold, and then she throws it into the ocean. Right, right. And, and he's like, why'd you do that? And she says, that way I'll always know where it is. Yeah. Okay, that's cute, actually. It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's a fun thing. But yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just a fan of the renewal scrolls. That's my, that's, that's okay. my point. That's a, yeah. That is a good thing about this episode, I would say. Yeah, I, I get the impulse, too. I mean, I, I have looked at uh, things on my own desk and thought, wow, you know, I, I should just burn that. <laughs> get rid of, the, get rid of the, the bad mojo that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I didn't actually see it as any kind of um, uh, supernatural thing. It was no, more, no, it was more no. taking the action. Yeah, so yeah. you should do yeah. that, actually. As soon as we're done, just set your desk on fire. Sure, I might. I might. You don't know. Yeah, we'll see what this show looks like next week. You know. Um, so I mentioned something before about uh, kind of the the dialogue that we have with our listeners, and, and it's interesting to me because this episode is a really good example of why I try to avoid outside comments when putting together mission log. Mm -hmm. Um, Partly it's because we want to come to this fresh and we just want our notes to be our notes and, and that's it. And when I'm doing online research, if a sentence begins with, you know, so-and-so thought this about a show, I skip that part. Right. I, I go right past it. And I just want the trivia that is how the show was put together. That's all. You know, and then it's very entertaining to uh, go online, say we finished the show and we, we've gotten it edited and it's ready to go. And then I'll see people saying online like, oh, can't wait for this next episode of Mission Log. Um, this is one of my favorites. Can't he- can't wait to hear what the Mission Log guys say. Or it can also be this episode is the absolute worst. I can't wait to hear what the Mission Log guys say. And this happened just like a couple of weeks ago. There, there was, I, I can't remember precisely what episode it was that we did, but I was surprised to look online and just see people automatically say, oh, this is terrible. I can't wait to hear what the guys say. And I, I was surprised because they didn't know that it was such a reviled episode, whatever it was, you know. So this one, 
This one, I was mostly able to stay free of that, mm-hmm. um, although with our recording schedule, it's, it's kind of weird. There, there are a handful of those that, that popped up, and um, I, I'm just here to say that uh, I at least tried to take my initial notes without the influence of, of what others had to say. So- um, Digging yeah. a tiny bit into those kinds of things, you and I, generally speaking, don't say anything to each other about an episode. And but well, what's funny <laughs> is occasionally one of us will say, you know, wow, I love this episode or wow, I hate this episode. And there have been times where you've said, wow, I hate this episode. And it's not like I'm taking a challenge or anything, but I mean, people do say they like the fact that sometimes you have a different idea about an episode than I do. Um, talking yeah. to our friend Chuck recently about the episode Times Squared. I remember you yeah. not being a big fan of that episode. I am mm-hmm. a huge fan of that episode. And had you said, oh, this episode doesn't work, I think I still would have found what I found. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the- when you wrote to me really quickly, when you wrote <laughs> to me and said, uh, I want to kill this episode with fire... <laughs> Yes, I believe those are my words. Yeah. Yes, this is the worst episode of Deep Space Nine we've seen so far. When you wrote to me and said yeah. those things, I, I will tell you honestly, there was part of me that was really looking forward to finding something in there uh, that would be redeemable. Uh, okay, all right, so good, because we, we've come to that part of the show where maybe we can talk about the things that, that we liked in the episode mm-hmm. and um, go. Well, I, I was also looking forward to being a millionaire by the time I was 30. <laughs> At one point, and that didn't happen. Oh, I'm Uh, so disappointed. The best part of this episode might be the talk between Quark and O'Brien. Quark is reading the situation and moving O'Brien in a direction. And what I like about it is it shows that uh, Quark cares about something besides money. He's caring about people. He's using reverse psychology. Mm -hmm. um, And he's actually getting O'Brien to do the thing that O'Brien needs to do and that O'Brien would have come to anyway. Yeah. Uh, That said, I hate it for a couple of reasons. First, um, (laughs) Quark should just be able to talk to O'Brien. O'Brien should be grown up enough to just be able to hear what O'Brien needs to hear. And also, uh, Miles O'Brien and Keiko O'Brien do not belong together. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know they have a kid, and that's fine. And I know at the end of 48 minutes, they're going to profess their love. Yeah. Just like every other episode, they spent the whole time fighting and uh, and then doing that. So, so there, there, there's two things that I like renewal scrolls and, uh, and Quark exhibiting humanity. Now, wait, we might actually come back to a little bit about, uh, uh, Miles and Keiko, but I, sure. I'm just curious if you could expound a little bit on that because, you know, we've been accused maybe once or twice before of, of just having too much Miles and Keiko hate. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I know that I tried to reply, uh, at least to one of those saying, well, it's certainly not about the actors. It's not about the idea that they are there, because um, I, I do have some comments on that in a minute. But um, it just seems that they have only been written in this very two-dimensional way. Right. And uh, I'm curious, I mean, do you think that does Miles belong with anyone in the Star Trek universe, or does he just need to be the engineer who does engineering things and, and has a bromance with Bashir? Um, I don't really know the answer to that question. It's not fair to say, actually, that Miles and Keiko don't belong with each other. It is probably better to say that somebody who writes relationships needs to write their relationship. I mean, we've talked before about how uh, Riker and Troy had this very, you know, healthy, you know, open, whatever, you do Mm -hmm. your thing, I'll do my thing, maybe we'll meet someday down the road, maybe we won't. 
yeah. that's honestly an easy out for people to write a relationship, right? It's just, yeah. well, I mean, they love each other, but, you know, we also want Riker to be a player sometimes, and we want Riker to care about somebody else sometimes. So we're going to make their relationship two-dimensional, but healthy two-dimensional, right? Or right. seemingly right. healthy. We can pass this off as healthy, right? And it doesn't really require that much thought because it doesn't seem to require that much thought from them. Ultimately, they love each other. They're also not in that place right now, so they're going to go and do their things, but they're two people who care about each other. We don't get the sense that Miles and Keiko care about each other, but I don't think that's because those two characters are written to hate each other. I think it's because uh, we want to introduce a dynamic of, uh, of marriage and how difficult marriage can be. But it doesn't really seem to be an examination of how difficult marriage can be. It just seems like, okay, well, this week they're going to have a difficult marriage. I mean, they had a wonderful marriage in tribunal. You know, of course, Miles was in prison. (laughs) But, I mean, they had a wonderful marriage in tribunal, right? But most of the time when we have Keiko on screen, the story that we're telling is not about something good or the two of them working together towards something. It's Miles leaves his sock someplace or Miles doesn't understand me. And it devolves into tropes like, you know, Keiko gets there and Miles says, hey, let's go to the festival. And Keiko says, I'm really sleepy. And he said, OK, why don't you take a nap? She's like, I didn't say I was going to take a nap. What, <laughs> right. What's going on here? I mean, he's, yeah, he's yeah. trying to be accommodating, which he shouldn't necessarily be. But she's also biting his head off, which she shouldn't necessarily do. I mean, it's just it's like they said, we're going to write a fight between these characters because that's what we need to happen in act two and so they wrote a fight that didn't even really seem to be born of anything or make any sense we'll have them make up in act three but then they're going to fight again it just i mean it's just it's not yeah i wish we would quit with their relationship i wish we would quit with their relationship because it just seems it seems uh, troubled at every turn and that's not even why can't these two get along that is why can't they get somebody who can write a relationship to write the relationship part because i don't get the sense that they're writing a relationship they're writing a sitcom without the comedy yeah precisely and and, and it's uh, well you could say that miles belongs with keiko and a therapist if they want to go that sure. direction and actually try to build something that's a little more adult and and believable and admirable out mm-hmm. of them um yeah that, it, that would that would honestly be a neat thing to see i mean there it really is something to theoretically there's something to how much he has missed her for the past two months yeah. but we don't examine that part of it at all we're just gonna we're gonna do the tropey trope trope and then move on (laughs) and here's the thing i don't want to throw out entirely the baby with the bathwater. i I think there are moments here even among the miles and keiko stuff miles just because colomini is a good actor a great actor just Mm -hmm. him pouring his heart out and saying ah i'm an idiot and here's how i think about you and then when we know that he wasn't affected by luoxana you go okay look he he absolutely has a heart and it's not just the influence of of this stuff and uh, can, can you can you at least allow us to pull for them a little bit here that they will be all right and be a little more adult and a little more mature and a little more worthy of our respect? See, it never even crossed my mind, though, that he might be affected because everything that happened between them is everything that we've ever seen happen between them. Sure. I mean, what sure, happened yeah. in this episode between Miles and Keiko, I was actually surprised in the end where they were like, yeah, no, Bashir says I wasn't affected at all. There was not a moment where I thought he might have been because everything that happened there is, I mean, that's, that is, you could practically say, hey, we're going to do the Keiko and Miles story again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be our B plot. 
because that's that this has been the B plot of of a number of their episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look with them every now and then they hit on a relatable moment, but it's just mired in in so much of a mess. And and here's what really bothers me hmm. about the Miles and Keiko thing. And, and you started to hit on it, which is about just sort of the reality of writing for those characters, the reality of the production of those characters. It's not so much that we have a couple of characters who have this trope filled relationship instead of something that's more real and relatable. It, what bothers me is the idea that, that they are manufactured to solve a problem with, uh, with the characters that the writers created. So, you know, look, we, we joked at times uh, about how we genuinely felt bad. Well, sometimes we joked, sometimes we genuinely felt bad. Uh, those times that Kirk had a romance and then had to leave the woman behind because, well, that's just the way a TV show in the 60s is made. And he's the heroic captain and he's got to move on to the next adventure the next week or the next romance the next week. Mm-hmm. And we got a little bit of that with Picard, although they stretched it a little bit with Picard, which is fine. Um but that was a trope that was glaring with 50 years of hindsight going, oh, well, we, we can't just have this guy have a romance and then off to the next the next week. So with Miles and Keiko, here's this attempt in a more modern era to actually show a relationship on Star Trek. And we talked about uh, uh, Deanna and Riker. And that was one thing that is very progressive in one way. But like you said, it's almost too easy because they get to be whatever you want them to be from week to week. But now we're going to say, look, here's a marriage and a kid. And they're off in this place that not a lot of people want to be. And it's full of danger and intrigue as well. How does this get reconciled with the difficulty of being in Starfleet? When up until now, most people in Starfleet have said, well, I can't have a relationship because I'm in Starfleet. I might be at Starbase 47 next week, or I might be at Vulcan the next week, and you simply don't know. So this ends here. So I respect the idea that they tried to do that, but then immediately you fall back into the cliche of saying, well, we can get rid of the wife and child because that will allow us to write the character that we want to write. So it's the writers then saying, let's go back to a more comfortable place, which is get rid of Keiko and Molly and then just let uh, let Miles go play racquetball with his pal. Then whenever we need to call on O'Brien to do anything, uh, uh, fix the thing, cross-circuit A to cross-circuit B, whatever, he's just right there. He's the same Chief O'Brien that we've had all along. Um, yeah. I, I think that is a, a failing... Look, I, I don't want to totally dismiss the attempt here. I want to give them at least a little bit of credit for the effort. But then when the effort turns into, oops, we, we don't actually know how to write these two. So let's just get rid of her. So we, so we don't have to deal with the fact that we don't know how to write these two. And then when they come, when they are back together, it's just, I mean, it's practically Mad Libs. It's not a real examination of what the time apart has been like or, or anything like that. So, yeah, kind of a bummer there. <laughs> So, are Kira and the Vedic going to be okay after this? Did we really spend the whole middle segment talking about Keiko and Miles? We did. Did we, we did. really? But, it's not really well, a middle segment, but segment three. Yeah. 
no, the renewal scrolls were in that segment as well, weren't they? Uh, they were. Okay, we, good. We said, uh, well, you said that you liked them, and Phew. I said I get it. Okay, yeah. good. All right. I just want to make sure well, the look, whole but, thing wasn't about the Magnificent Bickersons or you know whatever they're called. I, I think that section was so heavily about Miles and Keiko because yeah. they're the ones who are not affected by this. So you right. have to take their story at least a little bit more seriously. Interesting, because they yeah. were the B-plot, weren't they? Or were they? Yeah, well, can you really tell? It's yeah, exactly. all B-plot. It's all B-plot this time around. You got B, and then you got B. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say you got B and B-plus, but yeah, you might have B and B-minus. I'm not sure. This is the part, by the way, of the show where we do uh, sort of uh, try to figure out whether the whole thing holds up. Uh, fascination, which they called it fascination, I'm assuming, because everybody was fascinated with somebody else. There's yep. not really a whole lot to the title in this one. Uh, so now we get to the part about the uh, the ideas and the ideals, maybe, and whether the whole thing uh, stands the test of time. John, does this episode fascination no. hold up? Okay, well, <laughs> let, let me finish. <laughs> okay, look, here's the problem. And, and, you know, we can always say things are produced well. There is production value on screen. Mm. But ultimately, at the end of the day, does anything that happens here actually matter? And, and the notes that I had written uh, for the previous segments of this show, this discussion today, I, I just kind of I ended up deleting it all because the character stuff is influenced by Luaxana's condition. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Now, in the naked time, if you remember way back when mm -hmm. uh, in the original series, so that episode works because we had reveals about the characters that maybe mattered a little, like fleshing out who Sulu is, or a lot like digging into Spock's psyche. But in this one, it doesn't matter in the end who has a crush on whom. Now, it might have been interesting if this had revealed some true intentions or desires of our crew, but then we're led to believe at the end that they don't. Or, or at least if they're floating around in somebody's subconscious, that can just be dismissed because it doesn't matter. It's not like we're going to come back next week and follow up on this like, hmm, you know, does Cisco say, wow, does... Does Jadzia think I'm hot because that's Jadzia? Or is it Dax because Dax was my best friend when he was Curzon? Now I'm so confused and they have to have a long conversation about this. No, we're, we're going to dismiss it all. Yeah. So and that honestly might have been an interesting thing to see happen. Um, I know I've actually talked about a Midsummer Night's Dream before. And I can never remember the exact quote, but it's the, you know, if if we shadows have offended, think but this and all is mended, uh, that you have but slumbered here. It's something like while, while these visions did appear, something along those lines. Basically, the end of A Midsummer Night's Dream is, I believe, Puck, although it might have been Oberon, I can't remember. I think it was Puck uh, coming out and saying, listen, don't worry about it. It's yeah. fine. What, everything that happened here, just forget it. It was a dream, okay? And I right. guess that's kind of what Bashir is doing at the end of the episode when he was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's subconscious and really best not to think about it. Um, yeah. But what a waste of time, especially because these are characters that we do know. And for him to say, yeah, yes, everybody's being affected by Loxana, but it's actually stuff that's in there a bit. I mean, at that point, it would be interesting to see somebody go... So that happened, 
you know, and maybe grow something out of that, I suppose. Yeah. Knowing that yeah. that's not going to happen, then it's just uh, 48 minutes of stuff that happened, I guess. And, and look, and if having a good time is all it's about, that's fine, too. And sometimes Star Trek gets this type of episode right. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got the naked time. Uh, you, you've even got the naked now. <laughs> uh, you've even got like a piece of the action. There's just fun in that episode. Um, but those episodes revealed little things about the crew that you cared about. And, uh, and look, it, for that matter, you've got any number of holodeck episodes where we lighten the mood and let the characters act a little outside of their normal mode. So you can say like, oh, yeah, there are too many holodeck episodes, but we still like them on some level because it's not always the same character in the same uniform doing the same thing. And you get to let them relax a little bit. So this episode in particular is an attempt at being lighthearted and doing some romantic comedy and letting our characters have that room to breathe, but it just doesn't work at all. And I, and I hate it. And I hate that about it. Um, there's, uh, by the way, an excruciating amount of whimsy here approaching levels that we have not seen since cost of living. Um, and, and again, sometimes that works and sometimes it's a mess. I will say that the very last scenes were okay the the goodbyes because we pretty much just get Luaxana acting at peak Luaxana and then at the end we get her to try to have a little bit of a heart to heart with Odo instead of just throwing herself at him and and you you see some of that hurt that is also a part of Luaxana that we don't get to see all the time and then you also hope that the goodbye with uh, Keiko and Miles, that, that, that they've, uh, they're, they're at some understanding now, and it'll be so much better the next time we see them. I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, I'll keep my fingers crossed, though, because I do need to breathe, but apparently I can <laughs> right. do without a couple of fingers for a while. <laughs> um, uh, let me say a good thing, because we, sort of we sort of skipped the production bit and went straight into um, ideas and morals sure, and yeah, yeah. all that stuff, or lack thereof, whatever you want to say. Um, here's a good thing. Tracking shots. Sure. There are lots of those in this episode, lots of movement. Uh, they, they had to be very well choreographed. Everybody basically had to be on their mark, like from the time a, a scene started minutes ago, right? Yeah. Because there's a scene down at the bottom of uh, in Quarks, and then the camera actually uh, dollies up or tracks up or does whatever, mm-hmm. and there are Keiko and Miles sitting there, and they've had to sit there through that whole thing. I mean, there are lots of long shots in here. Um, they don't serve a purpose, which is kind of a drag but it is still interesting to see i assume it would have been avery brooks i don't know who it would have been who would have been like oh no let's do this let's do this um interesting to see them trying something i like when they try something different i also like it when that's an aid of something and this wasn't quite that but it was still interesting to see something literally interesting on the screen these these incredibly long shots um i mean it's no touch of evil (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah. But it's also not, you know, the quick, t- uh, quick cut MTV style that was actually prevalent at the time. So there's that. Yeah. Um, as far as the stuff you were saying about Loxana, uh, we've had episodes that gave Loxana depth. Uh, mm-hmm. Half a Life was one, and the one with Odo was another one, when Odo lost his shape and ended up having to cuddle up in her uh, in her dress. Sure. Uh, it would have been interesting to have a real or, you know, some real conversations between Loxana and Odo. 
Uh, but for some reason, they decided not to do that. It's almost like there was an allergy to writing well for that character. Or they yeah. thought, okay, well, this is an easy thing to do, and so we're just going to do this easy thing. Because, you know, everybody loves Majel, and everybody does love Majel. Mm-hmm. But, God, when you gave her something to do, she showed up, and she yeah. would nail it. And Loxana is, or can be, an incredibly rich character. She can be an incredibly multifaceted character. But 75% of the time, we're not even going to try for that. And that's, that's a drag, because she's only on about once a season, right? Yeah. And and usually it's just broad comedy, and the comedy doesn't work. And and I wish, I wish, especially with the relationship that they set up with Odo and Waxana, the last time those two were together, this could have been a great thing. This could have been Odo talking about his feelings for, for Kira. This could have been Odo talking about how difficult it is to be an outsider. This could have been Odo actually being upset about what Waxana said he was upset about or what she assumed he was upset about, finding out that his people are the scourge of a sector of the galaxy. Right. Instead, it's just a, I got to get out of here. Okay. And that's kind of a drag. Um, And the significant others in this episode are terrible. Not just Keiko and O'Brien. Burial, before he catches whatever bug that makes him attracted to Jadzia, is complaining about the fact that Kira has a life of her own. And she has a friend that she wants to go do something with. And Burial's like, oh, but I came all this way. And I want it. I mean, it's really just, I mean, that's kind of annoying. Um, Cisco is usually a good dad. I thought his I thought his uh, his advice regarding Jake's breakup was way off the mark. Uh, <laughs> basically, get over it. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks. And so, yeah. I uh, and let me remind you: progress, progress, progress. Mm-hmm. These are episodes of DS Nine I like. <laughs> I don't hate. <laughs> I don't hate this episode because it's DS Nine. Uh, in fact. Well, you said you hate this episode. I didn't say I hate the episode, but that's because I don't want to be recorded saying that. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Check out all the shows that are a part of the Roddenberry Podcast Network at podcast.roddenberry.com. Over there, you'll find not just Mission Log, but Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, Your Daily Star Trek News, and Shabam. Shabam. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next episode of Mission Log, Past Tense, Parts 1 and 2. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. In this episode, no one cocked an eyebrow and said, fascinating. Not even once. Consider this my complaint. And transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.